And go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to begin the Christmas story. And uh, I want you to know that, that Christmas is more than a day. Uh, it's, it's really more than a season. Christmas is a story. Christmas is a real life, true story. It is a demonstration of God's love to you and for you. And so Christmas is all about Jesus. I love it because in John chapter 3.16, one of probably all of our most beloved and favorite verses in the Bible, uh, John 3.16 says, For God, what? So loved. So loved the world that He gave, right? He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him might not perish, might not die, but have what? life, everlasting life, eternal life. And then you go, then you go into the book of Romans, and in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, but God demonstrated his love, right? John said, for God so loved that he gave. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I love to look at John three sixteen. And Romans 5, 8, as the bookends of my faith. My my faith began when God said, I love you. And I love you so much that I'll give you my son. I'll give my one and only son. He'll come to the earth for you. He'll live perfectly for you. He'll die for you. He'll rise up out of the grave for you so that you might not perish but have life. And I love what, what Romans 5, 8 says because here's the thing. I didn't deserve that from God. I promise you I didn't deserve that from God. I can't preach enough sermons or enough years to ever deserve that kind of love or that kind of gift from God. But I claim that promise that God demonstrated His love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner, God had this plan and God had this purpose all along. So at my very worst, God still loves me and He loves me so much that He gives His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And and. The Bible tells us that he was given the name Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. So I love the Christmas season. And you probably say, well, Brother Jeff, you talk about it all the time. I sure do. I sure do because that's the firm foundation of my faith, the Christmas story. I I heard an old story one time, and I want to share it with you this morning because I I really believe people today, they're confused about what Christmas is and what Christmas is all about. There was a grandma getting ready to go out with Grandpa they were going to go out for dinner on Christmas Eve. And Grandma got all prettied up, and she was just about to go outside the house, right? Fixing to walk right through the door. But her granddaughter stopped her. And this is what her granddaughter said to her. She said, Grandma, make sure that tonight of all nights you are very, very careful. Be careful on your way to the restaurant, and be careful on your way back. And I'm going to be waiting right here at the door to see you come back. And the grandma was like, you know, why is my granddaughter so concerned? As a matter of fact, grandma said, baby, I, I, I don't think that you have anything to worry about. And she said, but grandma, Santa Claus is out there delivering presents tonight. And grandma said, well, baby, that's okay. Santa Claus is going to come to your house too. And she said, that's right. Grandma, haven't you heard? Santa's already run over one grandma tonight. I think we all know that song, right? 
we like to listen to that song. And, and, and I love what Brother Andy prayed and what Brother Andy demonstrated to us. There's so many Christmas songs, and some are, are spiritual and worshipful, and some are just fun, right, and more secular. And, and I love the trees. I love the lights. Believe me, I put my decorations up three weeks ago. And uh, Marty fighting and everything, I still put them up. And uh, I, I love all of it. I do. I love the food. How many of you love the food, right? Yeah, we love the Christmas food. We cheat on our diets all day long for Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? And then on January 1st, we're like, okay, I will not eat like that again for the rest of the year, all right? We, we love all of this stuff. And listen to me, all this stuff can be good, right? But it can never replace what Christmas is really, really all about. It can never replace the Christmas story. And so what I want us to do is I want us to, to really answer a question over these next four or five weeks. And the question is simply this. What does the Christmas story mean to me? What does it mean to my faith? What is the Christmas story all about? So in order to do that, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. And, and I want to tell you just a little bit about Luke. Who was Luke? Let's answer that question, right? Who was Luke? Well, according to Mal Couch, he's a theologian. And I love to read Mal Couch's pastor, uh, his, his sermons. He's a pastor. I love to look at his you know, commentary. Mal Couch said this about Luke. He said Luke was a Greek citizen. As a matter of fact, of all the Gospels, Luke was the only Greek. The rest of them were Jews, right? So Luke was a Greek citizen who was a missionary, a historian, and a physician. Yes, he, he was all of those things. Luke was educated, and he was able to interview witnesses, He was able to write, research, and carry out remarkable observations. He goes on to say in his commentary that according to the sheer volume of words and chapters, which includes the book of Acts, which most theologians agree, Luke wrote, Luke is the largest contributor to the New Testament as a writer. Have you ever thought about that? We go, oh, Paul wrote the most. Well, according to words and sheer volume of chapters, Luke actually wrote the most. In the New Testament. And so that's who Luke is, okay? I I want you to know who Luke is because we're going to be looking at his perspective. We're going to be looking through his lenses of who Jesus Christ is. We're going to really be looking at the Christmas story. As a matter of fact, why did Luke write his gospel at all? Why did he write it? Why did Luke want to share what had already been shared by Jewish followers of Jesus? And why did Luke want to include the Christmas story. Why was that important? Well, I want to answer that question, right? I want to answer that question with the first four verses of Luke chapter 1. Okay, so let's look at it. Why did Luke want to share this gospel? Why did he want to write this gospel and include the Christmas story? Here it is. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account Of the things that have been fulfilled, that's a very important word, fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. That's very important. From the beginning. He's talking about the beginning when Christ was born. From the beginning. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, some people believe that Theophilus was a a, a real person. Uh, uh, Matter of fact, some people believe Theophilus was the one who financed Luke's journey 
with Paul and made sure that he was taken care of so that he could compile all this. There are some theologians that believe Theophilus was actually a keyword or a code word for a church. Here's the thing. I don't know. All I know is, is that this gospel got handed down and we have it today because it was God's will and it was God's plan. So he says, I, I, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know. Here it is, verse 4, right? Why did Luke write this gospel and why did he start from the beginning with the Christmas story? Here it is, verse 4. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So let's, let's, let's answer that question. Why did Luke write his gospel And why did he start from the beginning? Why did he give us the Christmas story right here at the very beginning, Luke chapter 1? Here it is. Luke was a believer. He was a believer in who Jesus Christ was. And he wanted others to know the certainty of the Word of God. He wanted them to know the certainty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he wrote this gospel. And that's why he starts from the beginning when Christ came. Emmanuel, God with us. The word certainty, right? That word certainty that Luke uses in these first four verses, that word means to be known and to be proved to be true according to evidence. See, Luke was very educated. Luke understood his time. If he went to, if he went to a court and had to present right this argument, if you will, he knew that he would have to have what? Evidence. And evidence back in this day had to be first-hand, first-account evidence, which means eyewitnesses. And so Luke says, I've done everything accordingly. I've done everything the right way. Why? Because I want you to know that the faith that you have, it is true. It is certain. You can know it and not be shook. By anything in this world, Luke tells us that his account is of the things that have been fulfilled, right? That's what he says, of the things that have been fulfilled and that they've been handed down by eyewitnesses and servants of the word. What that means is, is that these things that Luke shares with us, these words that he has written down, listen to me, they didn't just happen. That word fulfilled doesn't mean, oh, it just happened, right? It just happened. No, it it says they were fulfilled. You know what that means? That means they were told about long before they occurred. They were prophesied. They were promised. They were foretold by God years before I was even here. That's what Luke is saying. Years before even I was here, God promised us this. God prophesied this. God told us it was going to happen. And so this wasn't just by chance. It didn't just happen. It was fulfilled. In other words, it was accomplished, right? God accomplished what he said he would do. And so Luke, he accumulated all this information from the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, ones who saw Jesus with their own eyes, touched Jesus with their own hands, heard Jesus, right, with their own ears. And what does he do? He starts from the beginning. The time when the Word became flesh, right? You know what John said? John said, in the beginning was the Word. So here's the thing. Jesus has always existed. He's always been. But He came in flesh, right? He came in flesh during this time. And that's what Luke 
is going to tell us about. So, what does the Christmas story, ready? You're going to hear this question time and time again because I think it matters. What does the Christmas story mean to my faith today? Brother Jeff, you're telling me something that I've learned about since I was a kid in children's church, right? Since, I, since I've learned, I've been learning this with the books that my mama or my grandma or my grandpa read to me when I was a kid. But what does the Christmas story have to do with my faith today? Well, you ready? Here's the answer. The Christmas story is a firm foundation, right? A firm foundation for our faith, and our faith will be tested. Did you hear me? The Christmas story, it is the firm foundation. Listen, you have no faith if Jesus didn't come. Do you hear me? You have no faith if Jesus did not come. If prophecy and promise had not been accomplished by God, had not been fulfilled by God, let me just tell you something. There ain't no faith. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about Jesus being born because God said he would. He said it in Genesis chapter 3. That was the first time it was said. And then guess what? It's been said in every book, in every chapter ever since. And so the Christmas story, it is your firm foundation for the faith that you have from God. And I'm going to tell you, that faith, it will be tested. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. Dr. Tony Evans says, a faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. That's what he says. You tested your faith when you sat down in that pew, right? You tested your secular faith when you sat down in that pew. You thought that that pew would hold you up, but you didn't know until you what? Actually sat in it, right? A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. So here's the thing. That spiritual faith, that saving faith, that sanctifying faith that you have, which is a gift from God, that faith will be tested in this life. And we see it in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke's very first words about the gospel. You ready? Look at this. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them, look at verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, don't, don't, don't make this out to say something that it doesn't. It does not say that Zechariah and Elizabeth were perfect. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that they did not sin at all. It just says, right, that in this time they were righteous in the sight of God, and righteousness can only come to us through Christ. They were righteous in the sight of God, and they observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Look at verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So let me tell you right off the bat, okay, I believe that both Zechariah and Elizabeth had faith. I believe that. I believe God has already shown us that because it says they were righteous before God, which means God imputed righteousness upon them, right? It also says that they were living according to the commands and decrees of God. In other words, they were in relationship with God. They they loved God, right? But here's what we find out. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous and blameless, but they still faced disappointment. How many times do people say, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get my life right, 
And in their mindset, they're thinking, all my troubles will go away. All right? I'm going to tell you, that's what prosperity preachers tell, tell you. Oh, if you'll do this, this, and this, God will do this for you, and everything will be just great. Well, I'm here to tell you today, I ain't one of them prosperity preachers, right? Um, I, I'm a Jesus preacher. So I'm going to tell you the truth about Jesus Christ and what his word says. And what I'm going to show you is right here is that we're going to face disappointment in this life. We are. It says they both were in the lineage of Aaron. That's pretty important. Why? Because Aaron was considered the father of Israel's priesthood. He was the brother of Moses. The Bible says they were faithful to the Lord, right? They were faithful to the Lord, even known as those who were righteous in God's sight, blameless when it came to his commands and his decrees. And I believe everyone around them knew that. However, what we see is that even though they were faithful to God, even though they stood blamelessly before God, walking in his commands and his decrees, they were not exempt from the disappointment that comes to us in this life. It's clear, the Bible says that Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and it also tells us that Zachariah and Elizabeth were very old. Now, let me tell you about society during this time, right? Because you probably already know this, but I want to make sure. During this time, people made assumptions about those who could not bear children. We, we see it. We, we saw it way back with a guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah. People make assumptions during this time about those who cannot bear children. And so they were making these assumptions, much like people make assumptions today, that they must have done something wrong. They must have done something wrong, and God has punished them, right? God has withheld from them this blessing of childbirth. Another preacher that I love to read in his commentary, Thabidion Wille, he says this. He says, Elizabeth must have felt broken. She must have even felt blame as she was the one who was barren. She must have felt the stigma of her society. She must have felt the shame that they looked upon her with. But in their case, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, they handled a lifelong disappointment with righteousness and blamelessness before God. And listen to what he says, because I think this is so good. He says, disappointments will either make us bitter or make us better. Disappointments in this life, they will either make us bitter or they will make us better. Just because we live righteously and serve the Lord does not mean that we will be free from suffering. However, we can live in the righteousness of Christ and we can serve God because of His love for us and hope. Hope makes the difference. When you are disappointed, hope in who God is and what God has done and what God continues to do and what God will do can get you through it. You can live with righteousness. You can live blamelessly before God, walking in obedience to his commands and his decrees. Listen, the Christmas story, I said this earlier, I'm going to say it a lot The Christmas story is the firm foundation. It is the foundation of your faith when you are tested with disappointment. You are going to be tested with disappointment. I'm telling you. Anybody here been disappointed before? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're still asleep. You know, the first song that Brother Andy sang didn't wake you up, so I'm going to ask him to do that next week and turn the volume up. All right? Have you ever been disappointed? Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been the disappointment? 
<laughs> yeah. Have you ever caused disappointment? Yeah. Listen, disappointment is a reality of this life. You know what it is? It's a result of sin. So before you start blaming, right, and pointing fingers of where this disappointment came from and, and why you're disappointed, it all goes back to your sin. Disappointment is a result of our sinfulness before God. We're going to face disappointment. However, we can. We can keep on serving God. We can continue forward in the faith that he gives us. The Bible says that Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to pray. They kept on praying. And as a matter of fact, we see that Zechariah, right, who was a priest, was actually chosen by Lot, which means God did it, right? God chose him to go into the temple and to burn the incense. And when he did that, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. So you ready, right? Here we go. We got Zechariah. We got Elizabeth, right? They've got this foundation of faith, right? But, but they're struggling in their faith because of the disappointment. They don't have a child, but they're, they're faithful. They keep on serving God. And then all of a sudden, God, right? God chooses Zechariah. Listen to me. Do you know how many priests there were just in that community? The Bible says there could have been over 12,000 priests just in that community. Just in that area. And so to even get chosen was a miracle. You telling me God ain't in control? He's in control. It's the right time, it's the right place, and it's the right person. Look at this, verse 12. After Gabriel appeared to him, the Bible says, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. You ask me, Brother Joe, how do you know he prayed? How do you know he kept on praying? Because Gabriel said, Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom and the righteous of of the righteous to make ready, right? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah, he's got this firm foundation of faith. God, right, has imputed righteousness upon him. Uh, he, listen, he's walking in the commands and decrees of God, but he's, he's facing disappointment. He's facing disappointment. Neither he nor his wife have a child. It, it, it must seem like to him, everybody around him has got a child but him, right? He must feel all alone. He must feel hopeless. He must feel like, man, what have I been praying for? God hasn't spoken to me. God hasn't showed me. God hasn't answered my prayer. Well, oh, yeah, God heard you. And Gabriel told you that he heard you. As a matter of fact, right here in the temple, he was there to burn incense. But God said, no, you're here to hear from me, right? You're here to hear from me. So Zechariah, right here in the temple, receives a blessing and a promise from God. He was at the right place at the right time. 
God not only heard his prayer, God answered his prayer. God spoke to Zechariah, right, through the angel Gabriel. And I can't, like, have you ever wondered, like, what these angels look like? I just don't think TVs and movies do it justice, right? They, they, they just don't, right? They make them look just like us, right? And the angels don't look like us, right? They, they, they are glorified. Their, their purpose is to speak for God. They are messengers of God. They, they surround God with worship and praise all day long, all the time. And, and I just don't think you can be in God's presence like that and not shine like God. And so I, I think about, man, you wonder why Zechariah, right, was afraid? I, I think when he saw Gabriel, he, he, man, he didn't know what was happening. It was glory all around him. And he was afraid, but Gabriel says, don't be afraid because God has heard your prayer. And God has answered your prayer. As a matter of fact, right, he tells him that his fear would be replaced with what? Joy and delight. That fear you have, don't be afraid because you're going to experience joy and you're going to experience delight. Why? Because you and your wife are going to have a son named John. And John's going to have an incredible purpose in God's kingdom. He would be the one to point to and preach about Jesus, the one from whom salvation will come for all those who believe. The Bible says that John would be a Nazarite from birth, right? A Nazarite from birth. He, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he came out of his mother's womb. He would be like Elijah, the great prophet of old, who, who told people, the Word of God, who shared the Word of God with people. He said, your son John is going to make way, right? Going to make way, prepare hearts for the Lord. Can you imagine? I mean, they've just been praying for a baby, right? We've we just, we just been praying for a baby. And God says, oh, I'm going to give you a baby. I'm going to give you a baby who's going to be great in the sight of his Lord. God will go above and beyond everything you can imagine. You know that? I always tell people, you better be careful when you pray. You better be careful when you pray. Because God's going to answer your prayer. One way or the other. It can be yes, it can be no, it can be wait. Right? It's going to be one of those things. Right? I know we got we that song by Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayer. Ain't no such thing. Ain't no such thing. God hears the prayers of His children. He does. And He answers the prayers of His children according to His plans, His purposes, and His time. This was not a coincidence, right? This is what I call providence. This was providence in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. This was the hand of God moving according to His purposes, according to His time. And so what is the Christmas story? The Christmas story is that firm foundation that can help us grow in our faith, right? That can help us when we face the disappointments in our lives. But not only that, right? I believe the Christmas story is the firm foundation for our faith when God speaks to us in ways and in places that we don't understand. Because under you, you got to know this. Zechariah, he hears what Gabriel's saying to him, but don't you know he's going, don't you know how old I am, boy? Right? Don't you know how old my wife is? I ain't going to tell you, but she's old. Right? I, I, that, that's in Third Jeff chapter 5, which means you ain't got it, so flush that. Right? But, but here's the thing. Even when you don't understand, you can still be firm in your faith. You can still be firm in your faith. You want to know why? Because if God says it, he'll do it. You can trust God. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. 
So you can trust God, His plans, His time, it is perfect. And I'm going to tell you something. We need a tested faith to overcome fear in this life. Do you hear me? If you really want to overcome fear in this life, fear of failure, fear of disappointment, fear of anything, then you need a tested faith. A tested faith is a faith that can be trusted. So watch what happens. Because Zechariah responds, right? And here's the thing. He, he responds the only way he knows how in this moment. Watch what he says. Verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be, what's the word? Sure. Why did Luke write his gospel? Because he wanted you to know with what? Certainty. That word sure and certainty are very closely related. So Zechariah is a righteous man, right? He's an obedient man. He, he has faith. He's faced a little disappointment, and now he's, now he's a little fearful because this angel appears in the temple, and he's like, what in the world? He hears what the angel says, and look at his very first question. How can I be sure of this? Why does he ask that question? He answers it. I am an old man And my wife is well along in years. That's a poetic way to say it, right? So when somebody asks me, you know, how old is your wife? I'm going to say, well, she's well along in years. I'm not going to say she's as old as I am. He says, how can I be sure? How can I know? How can I trust what you're telling me? Because my body and this life, right, tells me this ain't possible. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And watch how the angel responds. Because verse 19 says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. That's enough. I'm the angel of God. In other words, whatever I tell you is what God told me. I don't make this up. I'm not here to pamper you. I'm here to tell you the truth. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And here's the result of the doubt. Anybody here ever doubted before? Anybody here sitting with doubt right now? Listen to me. There are consequences to doubt. I'm just telling you. We learn it right here. You ready? Verse 20. And now you will be silent. Of all the times... That Zechariah would be so excited to bust out of that temple and shout to the rooftops, he can't. He can't. Why? Because he doubted. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. In other words, you ain't going to be silent today. You're going to be silent for nine months. Now that might not have been hard for Zechariah, but that would be hard for me. Because I like to talk. Right? I certainly like to tell people about Jesus with my mouth. He says, you will be silent until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Listen to me. Your unbelief ain't going to stop God. Do you understand? Your unbelief ain't going to stop God. My unbelief ain't going to stop God. It ain't going to stop his plans and his purposes. It ain't going to stop his kingdom agenda. So to ever think that whatever God's doing is dependent upon me, that's a lie from the pit of hell. 
That's a lie from the father of lies, Satan. God's plans and purposes don't depend upon me. He sure wants me to be a part of it, though. Mm. It says they will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah because here's the thing. Normally, the priest would go in. He would burn the incense. He would come right back out, and he would pronounce a blessing. I mean, he would go in, do his job, come right back out. Well, it's been some time, hasn't it? Yeah, because God had some other plans for Zechariah. And God was speaking to Zechariah, and Zechariah heard him, but Zechariah was a little confused, a little doubtful, and so the angel had to repeat, right? And so it says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Mm. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. So he's trying to tell them, right? I mean, listen. Undoubtedly, he, 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 he didn't know sign language either. And so he's trying to figure out, how do I tell him what just happened to me? I can't open my mouth. I've never had to do this with my hands before, right? So it says, he tried to make signs, but he could not speak. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, so he kept on doing what he was required to do, right, as a priest. But when his time had come complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Some theologians tell us that's what they did, right? That, that's what they did. Some theologians say, no, that's not just what they did. Sometimes they did that because they wanted to be sure, right? To be sure that there was visible evidence of what was said. I'm not here to try to tell you one way or the other. I'm just telling you what theologians have discussed. But it says Elizabeth became pregnant. She remained in seclusion for five months. But here it is, verse 25, because this is important. The Lord has done this for me, she said. The Lord has done this for me. Notice she didn't say Zechariah has done this for me. She said the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So, so here's what we learn about Zechariah right off the bat. And I've already shared it with you, but I want to make sure you understand. Zechariah struggled with doubt. Even as a believer, even as a faithful follower, even as one walking with God, he still had to struggle with doubt. He's already struggled with disappointment. We've already, we've already understood that. Now he struggles with doubt. But here's the truth. God's purpose and plans prevailed. God's purposes and plans prevailed even in spite of, even in the midst of Zachariah's doubts. God says, I'm going to do it, so it's done. It's settled. <laughs> and and that's, that's so important. We, we already know, right, through Luke's words, that Zachariah and Elizabeth were old, right? Well along in years. Zachariah even echoed that in his response. He wanted surety. He wanted certainty. He wanted to know no, no. And again, I love what Pastor Onwible says. He says this, We cannot think our problems are great and God's power is great at the same time. You want me to say that again? He says we cannot think that our problems are great and God's power is great at the same time. Think about that for just a second. Here's why. We will exalt one a little bit more than the other. One power will always be a little bit more than the other. If you think your problems are so great, then you think your God's power is less. 
If you think your God's power is so great, then your problems are going to be just a little less powerful. Here's what he says. When we, we can be so focused on our problems that we can't hear with clarity God's promises and God's word to us, so we fail to believe in God's power. We can be so focused on our problems that we can't clearly hear God's promises and words to us and we fail to believe in God's power. Do we see that in the life of Zechariah? I think we do. Or else why would he say, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? And so Zechariah was rebuked. He was rebuked by Gabriel. His mouth was closed by God until the fulfillment of the promise. So here's the question I want to ask you, looking at Zechariah. How much blessing do we negate because of our doubt? Let me ask you this. Do you know that God wants to bless you? If you don't, then you need to go back and read John 3.16 again. Because the Bible says, For God so loved the world, and that means you and me, that He gave. In other words, God wants to bless you. But the question is, how much, right? How much blessing do we negate? Do we bypass because we are filled with doubt? Normally, the priest would come out of the temple. I've already said this. He'll come out of the temple. He'll pronounce blessing over the people. However, his doubt caused him to stay in the temple just a little bit longer than normal. He could not speak. As a matter of fact, he went home and could not speak. Wives, does it drive you crazy when your husband don't communicate with you? What if he couldn't speak to you for nine months? That, I'm going to just tell you, right? He had to go home and couldn't open his mouth up to his wife. Because the, the, Gabriel told him, you won't be able to speak until the fulfillment of God's promise in your life. In other words, you won't be able to speak until the son is born. And then we get to Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth tells us that she, was, she felt the weight of disgrace. Let me ask you this question. Anybody here ever felt the weight of disgrace before? Maybe you said something, maybe you've done something, or maybe you say, well, just the luck of the draw, nobody, nobody respects me, nobody thinks of me in a, in a positive way. You ever felt the weight of disgrace before? Maybe it's, even, maybe it's even you've done something, you've said something, right, and you feel the weight of disgrace. Listen to me. Elizabeth felt the weight of disgrace. We know that because she said it with her mouth. But here's what she recognized. Elizabeth recognized God's favor on her life. Right? She recognized God's favor. And she found out and she believed what God's favor could do. God's favor on me. He has given me a child. And what he has done is he has removed the disgrace that I feel. The disgrace from among the community. In other words, she focused on the goodness of God to her and she knew that it was God's hand working in a favorable way, removing this disgrace, right? So what is the Christmas story? What did the Christmas story mean to Zachariah and Elizabeth? Here it is, right? It was the firm foundation for them when their faith was going to be tested by disappointment. It was the firm foundation of their faith when their faith would be tested by lack of understanding, lack of comprehension. And now what we see is that the Christmas story, it was a firm foundation for their faith when they struggled with doubt, when they struggled with disgrace. 
That's what the Christmas story was for Zachariah and Elizabeth. And I'm going to tell you something. Is it any different today? Are we any different than Zachariah and Elizabeth today? Does anybody in here face disappointment? Does anybody in here face a lack of understanding? Right? You pray. Maybe you don't hear God. Or maybe you, you, you don't like God's answer. And you just want to try to clarify for God, like straighten him out. God, are you sure you heard me right? God, are you sure you understand my heart? You you ever been faced, right, with doubts and fears of failure, disgrace? Where are you right now in your faith journey? Where are you in your faith journey? Is is your faith being tested? Because here's the thing, and here's what I believe. Again, take this for what it's worth because it's coming from me. What I believe is if you have faith in God, it's going to be tested. That's just what I believe. And if you ain't been, or you're not being tested, I would check your faith. Because when I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I see believer after believer after believer after believer being tested in their faith over and over and over again. So I just don't believe that you can have a faith in God and not be tested while you're living in this world. And we see it in Zechariah and Elizabeth. So, do you have faith? If so, is your faith being tested? Are you struggling with disappointment? Are you struggling with lack of understanding? Are you struggling with fear? Are you struggling with doubt? And listen, we're going to build on it. <laughs> I hope you keep coming. But we're going to build on this testing of our faith and what the Christmas story can do for our faith. It is the foundation. It is the foundation of the faith I have From God and in God. Listen to me. And I want to make sure you understand this. Faith is a gift from God. Faith didn't start with you. Faith started with God. Faith didn't start with you. Faith started with God. God saw you. God saw you in your sinfulness and said, I'm still going to demonstrate my love for you in this. While you're still a sinner, Christ is going to come and Christ is going to die. Faith didn't start with you. It started with God. And God allowed you to have faith, to receive faith. Not only is faith a gift from God, faith is refined by God. You ready? You're saying, Brother Jeff, how can you know for sure that my faith is going to be tested? Because the Bible says it is. Not because Jeff believes it or because Jeff said it. Because God said it. You ready? And I'm going to leave you with this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9. through 9. It's not on the screen. If you want to turn to your Bible, you can, or you can, just, you can just listen. You ready? Faith is a gift from God, and faith is what? Refined by God. Here it is. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9. through 9. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in grief. Right? Suffer in grief in all kinds of trials. They have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. Are you ready? These have come, the trials, the suffering and grief. They have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, the certainty, the surety of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise Glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's faith. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith is a gift from God, and I pray that you have received it. Faith is refined by God. In other words, He is going to allow you to go through the fire. He is going to allow you to go through things in this life. Why? Because it is going to prove the genuineness, the surety, the certainty of the faith you have. And I'm going to tell you, the end result of that faith is your salvation. That's what it's all about. God's in the business of saving lost souls, and He does it through the blood of Jesus Christ. He does it through Jesus Christ. Perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection. And I'm going to tell you something. People ask me all the time, Brother Jeff, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Revelation, the last verse? Why, why do you believe it? Because here's the thing. How in the world am I going to believe one thing and not believe the rest? How, what, what, what is that? Oh, I believe this part, but I don't believe that part? Are you, what? I'm going to tell you why I believe the Bible, because God said it. And I believe John 3.16. And I believe Romans 5.8. There's a song by John Reddick called, I Believe. Brother Andy and Brother Jeremy and I, we got to hear him sing at that experience conference. And I remember he came up on the stage, and listen, there wasn't no lights, right? There wasn't no band. It was just him and a little piano. He sat down at that little piano, and he started playing. And then he started singing this, I believe. I believe in the life of Jesus. I believe in the, the death of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I believe in God's Word. I believe, I believe. He just kept saying, I believe, I believe. So here's the thing. I believe Genesis through Revelation, every word. Do I understand it all? No, I don't. But here's the thing. My faith is not about understanding God more. My faith is about trusting God more. My faith is not about understanding God more. I want to. But I just know this. I don't. But I trust Him. And I try to trust Him more and more every day. So here's the thing. My faith is a gift from God. It's refined by God. And guess where it started? It started with Emmanuel, God with us. When God demonstrated his love for me that he gave. That's the foundation of my faith. And that's what my faith is built upon every day. So why do I celebrate Christmas in January? <laughs> why do I wear Christmas socks in June, in June and July? Right? Why do I love the Christmas songs? Why does that Christmas record play in my office all year round? Because this is the foundation of my faith. It's going to be a part of what I talk about. It's going to be a part of what I share. And, and here's the thing. It's the foundation. And it grows. And it grows. And it grows. Because here's the thing. I have a saving faith. And I have a sanctifying faith. You know what that means? God has saved me. He saved me. I will never be separated from God. Forever and ever and ever. I will always be a child of God. Nothing and no one can ever change that. My eternity is certain. It is secure. I know that I know that I know. I don't need you to tell me or bat, pat me on the back and, 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 and re-emphasize. I know that. And I thank God for that. Do I struggle with disappointment? Yep. Do I sometimes doubt? 
Yep. Am I sometimes fearful? Yep. Do I feel the weight of disgrace from time to time? Yep. But that will never change. Never change my eternity. I learn from it. I learn from it. I walk in it. But I look to my God. And I look to the promises He's made me in His Word. And I trust Him. The Christmas story is my firm foundation. Even when I face struggles. Even when they're self-inflicted. The Christmas story is my firm foundation. I will not be shaken. Why? Because I believe. I believe in the life of Jesus. I believe in the death on the cross. I believe in the resurrection. I believe, I believe, I believe. Thank you, John Reddick, for those words in that song. Because I sang it on the way to church this morning. I pray that's what you can say. What does, the, what does the Christmas story mean to your faith today? I can't answer for you, but I just answered for me.